What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Cece, and welcome back to another episode of 21st Century Cripple. The date is August 24th, and today's episode is Don't Gatekeep Me. Alright you guys, so today the topic of discussion is gatekeeping, but before I get started, I want to remind all of you that it is Tuesday and last night was the opening ceremony for the Paralympics, but the official games and competition actually starts tonight. Um, the same channels that you would stream your Tokyo Olympics, you can also stream the Paralympics Tokyo 2020. So go ahead and support those disabled athletes and make sure that you tune into my last week's episode so you can see the importance of the Paralympics and why I am rooting for each and every athlete no matter what country they're representing and I'm really excited to watch later on today. But for today's episode, the topic of discussion is don't gatekeep me. Um, I say this because there is gatekeeping within the disabled community, within disabled individuals, but there's also gatekeeping where normal or able-bodied individuals, I should say, um, perceive disabled people in a certain way, and if we don't meet their definition of disabled, what they believe to be disabled, whether it be mentally or physically disabled, if we don't meet that criteria, then in their eyes, they, we are not disabled, and that is gatekeeping. Um, it happens within and without, um, not to sound all philosophical, but it happens within the disabled community and people that aren't a part of the disabled community, but always seems like they got something to say. Um, so me personally, in my case, um, I've had different phases throughout my whole entire life, but I definitely, the older I get, I feel too disabled for some spaces and not disabled enough for others, um, especially recently. I haven't gotten proper like cerebral palsy care probably since 2019, so I'm a little stiff. It's been hurting to walk lately. Um, I definitely have been using my canes, which is something, you know, five years ago, even three years ago, I would have like looked at you funny if you suggested that I bring my cane because I try to be as independent as possible. Um, but nowadays I'm prouder of my cane. Um, I like to get canes with prints on them so I can interchange them with my outfits. I'm, yes, I'm really that vain and I don't care. Um, <laughs> I like my canes to match my outfits. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit harder to get around lately. Distances that I used to be able to walk no problem. I definitely need my cane to assist nowadays. So my cane is virtually becoming a part of me. Um, something that I, I was so against my whole life, but it's something that I'm caving into. Um, and the cane is just becoming a part of me now. So it's something that I'm having to accept. But I, I'm noticing while I'm using my cane more, um, not that people are staring more, because I feel like people stare the same amount. But it's almost like, People are more willing to help me, maybe more willing to get out of my way or offer me help when they see me with my cane. But my question is, I still have cerebral palsy whether I have my cane or not. And I would imagine I look like I'm struggling without my cane even more. So I don't understand the initiative to want to help me and come to my aid when you see me with a cane as opposed to 
um, almost just staring at me in detest and disgust, wondering what a disabled person is doing out on her own without her cane. Um, Because that's what I get when I walk without it. Um, But it's like, (laughs) that is a form of gatekeeping in itself because some people are like, well, you don't look disabled or you're too pretty to be disabled. First of all, I've never understood what that means. Disabled doesn't come with a look or a certain level of vanity. Um, If you're a beautiful person and you're disabled, you're just a beautiful disabled person. I don't understand um, the separation between the two, that disability and beautiful people and vain people and people that care about their looks can't be in the same a topic same sentence and if so I'm here I'm there um maybe not in high school I wasn't the cutest or the uh, most stylish I I don't think but at least I've come around um in my adult years and I definitely feel like I have a little style of my own and a little swagger that I feel like my cerebral palsy adds to it um my whole family calls my walk you know the pimp walk um And sometimes you just have to embrace what other people are going to stigmatize. But what I mean in the form of gatekeeping is people see me from the waist up or they see me before they see me walking and they don't assume I'm disabled just off of the way that I look. That in in itself is gatekeeping because you're saying because you think that I'm a beautiful girl that I don't, in your eyes, I shouldn't be disabled or I don't look disabled to you. First of all, that's very insulting. And second of all, that's just very ignorant and ableist mindset that a beautiful person or beautiful people can't be disabled. Um, and I've had it many times where I've told, pe- trying to sit in handicap seating at a graduation at Texas State, the usher told me, well, you don't look disabled and literally told me to get up out of the disabled seating and told me to sit elsewhere. So it's happened to me multiple times. Um, um, I just recently got a handicap placard for my car finally. So now I can really park like a fully legal disabled individual. And the dirty looks that I was getting from like all the vets when I pulled up in my little, my little Jeep, um, people you know the looks that they were getting me and then I got out of the car with my cane and they were like oh okay because they're assuming um you know that a girl that looks young I know I look way younger than I am um you know pulling up in a disabled parking space oh my god they she must be using her parents handicap placard that must not be her car well maybe you should just mind your goddamn business and stop being so crabby um, but i get it all the time where people assume or give me dirty looks when i like acquire for disabled services because they have a certain perception of what they think disability is and i don't fit that description do i give a shit no but if you are one of these people that are that are gatekeeping or it has ever crossed your mind, like, oh, she doesn't look disabled or you don't seem disabled, um, that's gatekeeping. That's ableist. You should catch yourself, rein it back in and ask yourself, why do you have those thoughts and what is a disabled person to you? If you see a person in a wheelchair or you see a person with a crutch or you see a person you know, that has um, modifications for their amputee or whatever it may be. Um, First of all, don't make a mockery of them and a show of them and what, you know, what comes with their disability. But just because um, you may not see their disabilities doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Some people have outward disabilities where it's more obvious because we have things that we physically need to help us get around. But there are invisible disabilities. So I want everyone to be cognizant and aware 
that you may be gatekeeping yourself when your employer when your employer qualifies for disability and legally you can't ask them what disability they have but you know why you turned down that job application or you know your student is asking for disabled accommodations in the classroom and you're giving them the side eye cuz you're not even sure that they really need it you're you're gatekeeping you're disabled gatekeeping and it's not up to you the general public to decide who is disabled, what is disabled, and at what level. Uh, sorry to break it to you, but even within the disabled community, there is that sense of like, I'm more disabled than you. I have more needs than you. My needs are more abundant than yours. You don't fit in our little circle, so stay over there. Uh, there is a sense of clickish, clickism. Uh, within the disabled community where it's very political, very politicized. Um, they call able-bodied people specific names. Um, and just there is a separation between able-bodied individuals and disabled individuals in the discourse, the way they speak, when they bring issues. And my thing is, and I've always identified as a person with cerebral palsy, I'm only now walking in into the identity that I am a disabled person. I know that sounds funny and off, but I'm finally walking in my power that I am disabled. I'm a disabled creator. I'm a disabled woman. I'm a disabled educator. I'm a disabled learner. I'm always going to be that, so I might as well embrace it. But I don't like the divide between the disabled community and the able-bodied community. I create that. I feel like that creates more gatekeeping in a sense because there's it's just so stiff we're telling able-bodied we're calling them ableids or whatever however you pronounce that word and just saying like oh you're an ableist you're an ableist yes they probably are but i feel like there's a better way to come at it um discourse wise um not everything has to be so punch in your face and aggressive sometimes you ignorance really is bliss and people are really truly ignorant to the things that they have never been around been exposed to and i feel like in 2021 um nowadays with internet tiktok instagram youtube um facebook (laughs) but i just feel like there's no reason that you shouldn't educate yourself on the plight of other people's issues especially if you are going to be ignorant and speak a whole lot of trash about it but also Um, You know, some people don't know the real struggles of disabled people because they've never spoken to a disabled person, listened to their struggles, had a disabled person that was close enough to them to tell them like, yo, this is what really goes on in my life. So sometimes you need a medium, aka 21st century cripple, to kind of help you break down those barriers like, hey, you are gatekeeping as a company, you are gatekeeping as a friend, you are gatekeeping just in in the general public when you have that thought in your mind like oh she's too pretty to be disabled or or he's too he doesn't look disabled or she looks too disabled no there's no such thing get those preconceived notions and i don't know where you're measuring disability but get that scale out of your mind because disability is a spectrum even cerebral palsy itself is a spectrum you can have cerebral palsy and be cognizant and be able to speak and be able to get around even if you have or need a mobility device and then there's the type of cerebral palsy where you're not verbal um, as much you don't have as much liberty with your limbs you can't move around as freely you know uh, cerebral palsy ranges and I'm sure it does with autism uh, with deafness and blindness I know there's different variations people can hear tones some people can hear mumbles some people can see um, different 
different shades or different shadows, even different colors, you know, so every disability, whether it be, you know, I, I don't have the plethora of disabilities in front of my hand, but what I'm trying to say is inclusivity. Also, I'm trying to include all the disabilities in this when I say this, but there is a spectrum for for every disability. You're either on the severe end, the moderate end, the mild end, somewhere in between. So there's so many, um, like who is making the scale of what disa what's disabled and what isn't. So um, I just wanted to give that general background of what gatekeeping is and how we as a society do it un unknowingly, unwillingly. Um, and maybe we need to really catch ourselves. But I do want to do a little transition to a more serious part of the podcast where I really speak about disabled gatekeeping in academia, um, in schools. Um, I haven't been in public school since 2013 when I graduated high school, but I'm doing research about all of this and also just realizing what I've been through in my life and looking back at, you know, the way I was treated in, through institutions, I'm realizing that disabled gatekeeping has been happening to me my entire school career, um, even in college, even while I'm pursuing my master's degree. I'm noticing uh, where there is need and space and maybe not so much preparation for disabled learners in the space of academia. So I wanted to do a little transition uh, before we go into that topic. Um, we're going to have a little message from my sponsor. So make sure you guys take a little break. Make sure you're following 21st Century Cripple on Instagram, on Twitter, so you can stay updated every time I have a new episode. I will be right back. <laughs> All right, y'all, I'm back. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this this episode. I want to talk about the most um, important, potent, I'm sure, gatekeeping happens in the workplace. And I will get to that episode when I get access to the workplace. But for now, uh, and for most of my life, the most place that I've had access to is schools and the world of academia. I have two associate's degrees, a bachelor's degree, and I'm going for my master's, probably going to go for my PhD because I want to be a professor. Um, so that is just going to be the course of my life. It seems like me and academia are in it for the long haul. But I'm learning, even as I went to an online uh, master's program and I'm transferring out to an on-ground, in-person master's program, um, but I learned uh, that there is very little space, very little uh, input, very little insight, very little care given to disabled voices, uh, disabled perspectives in the professional world of school. But I want to break it down first at a very menial level. Uh, it starts in elementary school, people. It starts in elementary school. A lot of my peers in high school are popping out babies, having kids, sending their kids to school. Y'all kids are freaking adorable. I'm following them all on Instagram. I'm like, whoo, whoo, child. Glad it ain't me. Uh, all your kids are beautiful, though. I love them all. I can't wait for some of them are all babies. I can't wait for like all my friends that have kids that are babies right now. Like, I can't wait till they get old enough to go to school because their school pictures are gonna be so cute. Ew. But let me um <laughs> let me get off my let me get off my baby tangent really quickly. Um, I just wanted to let all my high school friends know if you're listening to my podcast, your babies are freaking cute. 
But um, regardless, um, this applies to y'all too, because we never know if your children are going to have disabled peers. Um, y'all need to know what's going on with your kids in school. So a lot of times schools will gatekeep and you won't even know that they're gatekeeping disability from your children. So when I was in elementary school, there was a separate room, the special needs room for the dis disabled children, whether they had cerebral palsy, whether they had more severe disabilities, autism, severe autism, uh, whatever it may be, whether they were MR, whatever their diagnosis, there was a special needs room. And me having cerebral palsy and needing, um, I needed a lot more aid when I was younger as well. You know, I'm kind of circling back, but when I was younger, I needed a walker. But intellectually, I was there. So they didn't really know where to put me. Um, they didn't really know how to handle me or treat me in a normal classroom. Um, but I couldn't and obviously didn't belong in the special needs room. You know, I needed to be intellectually stimulated. I need to be, you know, I wasn't very good at math, but every other subject I really love to learn and I really didn't belong. I, you know, I deserved to learn the curriculum that the other students were learning, but they would, you know, so it was a fight with my mom to put me in so, so-called normal classes so I can actually learn. But I did find my way into the special needs room um, often. They were my legitimate friends. I loved them all. And um, that's where I felt comfortable and felt accepted. So that's where I tended to veer. But it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized that schools are gatekeeping in a way because you're keeping the disabled student population completely separated from the normal population of the school. Um, the student population is smaller. The disabled student population is smaller than the regular student population. So you're giving half of these students and telling half of these students to go home on a half day. And I used to remember that they used to come pick them up literally at like 1130 when they just got to school a couple hours ago. It wasn't because they had special needs that couldn't be met in the school that had to be met at home. That was the school district's way of gatekeeping the disabled students and only keeping them in school for half of the time. Um, so they wouldn't be accountable. They wouldn't need to uh, butt out the resources because um, working in a special needs classroom and being a special needs teacher is very hard. Um, it's hard work. These The students are beautiful children and they deserve the time and attention, but it's not an easy job. It's a physically demanding job. It's mentally and emotionally draining because you're dealing with the well-being and welfare of disabled kids that sometimes need around-the-clock care, and they deserve that care and attention, but they deserve it from teachers that actually care about their disability, that are attentive to their learning, and making sure that they're grasping what they should, they're picking up what they should, and they're, you know, living their life and performing to the best of their abilities, not just a teacher that's there for a paycheck, or not just a teacher that's like a realtor on the side. You need a teacher that's going to give their heart and soul to these kids because that's what they need. They need the attention. They need the care. Um, you know, if you have a severely autistic student in your classroom and stimulation is the only thing that keeps them quiet, as an educator and as the person that's with them for eight hours a day, it's your job to provide that stimulation, whether it be with the swing, whether it be with different kind of activities. So if if your if your child is left with these parents, you know, for eight, for, if your child is left with these uh, teachers, excuse me, for this amount of time a day, they should be able to have their needs met so they can meet the needs that your students, that the, these disabled students need. And if you're 
separating the students from half of the population of the school, you're not giving the teachers the resources that they need to meet the needs of the children, you're not really setting the disabled student population up for success because you're giving them the bare minimum, you're giving them the crumbs. And then socially, you're not doing what's best for the disabled population or the quote-unquote normal population of students because you are, you're not teaching them that disabled populations and disabled people are part of regular society. You're teaching them in school, in elementary school, in middle school, that disabled people are separate from you. Disabled people eat on the other side of the lunchroom. The disabled classroom is on the other side of the school. The disabled students leave earlier than the rest of the students. There's always a separation. There's separation between disabled and normal perceived students. Um, and that that in itself, even in elementary school, you carry that attitude through high school. You carry that attitude um, as you grow up in corporate spaces. You carry that attitude in Walmart and Target when you see a disabled person because that's why you're probably so shocked to see them because uh, as long as you've been in school in your school career, they have been separate from you. Even the disabled building when I was at uh, uh, university at Texas State, it was like in the very like fifth floor of the main building of the campus. It was really hard to get to. And I don't understand as a disabled person, how the freak fuck was I supposed to get to that building? It was like so many inclined hills, so many stairs to get there in the first place. And then the dis disabled uh, office in itself was on the fifth floor. Like somebody make that make sense. So people that aren't even disabled are quote unquote, saying that this is accommodable and it's not but i will get to college in a quick second i just want to speak about like that separation and that gatekeeping that begins at the very school district level in elementary school uh it carries on through life because we are we have that perception in our heads that the disabled population should be separate from the rest of us and that's just not reality it's not true um they need to, these disabled students need to be mixed in with the general population of the school for social reasons and also so the quote-unquote normal students can understand that disability exists. They can understand to have empathy and understand how to care for these people and these students so that way when they see them in the real world, they will take them into consideration when they're making policy plans and plans for the city and laws you know they're they're keeping their disabled people in mind their disabled cohorts their disabled friends that they had and not just like a distant memory of they were always separate from me um and that's really important we need the exposure socially um because if you're separating the disabled students from the quote-unquote normal students, you're already creating a separation that's going to carry mostly with the able-bodied students throughout their high school and college careers. We need to break that stigma and start, you know, teaching your kids at a young age that disability is nothing to be ashamed of, that we need to respect and not stare. Uh, it's better to ask for help. Just treat them with respect and love um, and be their friend. I promise you, I promise you, disabled people want friends that are able-bodied also we don't disabled people aren't just only open to disabled friendships um and that in itself is a form of gatekeeping you know we we want quote-unquote normal friends too just as much as we want people that understands our struggles and also are disabled and have cerebral palsy but just because i have cerebral palsy doesn't mean that I only want to date and only want to be around people that have cerebral palsy. I want to be a social human being and interact with absolutely everyone. 
So stop gatekeeping me. <laughs> but more specifically, I want to talk about gatekeeping in academic circles and when I got to college, how how much I realized that it was kind of like a really us versus them scenario. Um, a lot of times, especially when you're physically disabled, I've noticed the the puzzles and the inquisitiveness on administration, um, on professors when you ask them for accommodations. Um, I probably went to the worst university you can go to as far as like geographically speaking, uh, education wise. Um, I love my alma mater, love Texas State. It was a great time in my life. You know, go Texas State, whatever, blue. Uh, but uh, geographically speaking, probably not the best. So many hills, so many stairs, so many rocky incli- inclines, and um, I was pretty much walking everywhere when I went there. Um, I applied for accommodations at the disability office and was told to my face that uh, they don't accommodate permanent disability, they only accommodate temporary disability, and there's nothing that they could do for accommodating me for my CP meaning that they weren't going to cart me around from class to class because, you know, CP is permanent and they don't do that. But what would piss me off was I would be limping my way to class, making sure I leave an hour early to make sure I get to class on time, um, letting all my professors know like, hey, I'm going to leave lecture probably 10 to 15 minutes early just so I can make it to my other class. Um, Because I would have class in Heinz and have class all the way in Alkek. And if you didn't go to Texas State, you don't know what the hell that means. But basically, I had class all the way in the back of the school, like in the very back. It looks like the basement of the school building. And then I had class in the main library. And Texas State is known for those stairs. (laughs) So that's where um, I was having to go probably for two semesters straight. And I would have to let my professors know, like, yo, I got to leave early or I'm just, I'm not going to make it. And in college, there really were those professors that would lock their doors and not let you in. I don't know what their petty little problem was. But, and then there was also those professors that literally would, would stop, like would not stop the lecture until the very last possible second. So even me leaving five minutes early, I probably missed like two or three slides worth of information. Like, but there was nothing that they could do to accommodate me because Texas, they didn't accommodate physical disabilities. But I would see the athletes and the friends of the people that drove the golf carts getting carted around school all the time. And I'm sitting here like, yo, what the fuck? I'm sitting here with (laughs) I'm sitting here with a broken leg because when I was going to Texas State, I had a major surgery where my leg was broken in four pieces. They only picked me up from class one time. One time. And it took my leg six months to heal. They only picked me up from class one time. And I was was struggling to get to class. I would see the lazy-ass football players with nothing wrong, no disability whatsoever, on the back of the carts getting carted to class while I'm literally struggling limping trying to get to where I need to go so first of all that's wrong ableist ignorant but that is gatekeeping (laughs) you're gatekeeping like you're being an asshole first of all but you see me struggling you see me limping you see my swollen ass bruised leg and you're just gonna drive right on past me look at me kind of guilty and just keep on going that happened a lot of times when I was at Texas State Uh, But I wasn't one to complain. I just, you know, did what I had to do. 
probably the fittest I was in my life because I was literally walking everywhere. But Texas State was not set up for disabled, physically disabled people. There were many times I had to sit on the floor of my lecture room because for some reason there was more bodies in the rooms than there were chairs. And they didn't give a fuck that I walked in there limping. You think anybody got up to give me a seat? And if and if you're disabled also, I know if you have cerebral palsy or have any kind of physical disability that impairs your walking, like my biggest fear is walking in small, narrow spaces, walking in between people because I'm terrified of falling and like embarrassing myself, having like a Hillary Duff, Lizzie McGuire at graduation moment. Um, so, you know, I, I like to stay on the edge of the seats so I can get out easier and I don't make such a spectacle of myself. At Texas State, if you were late, that was damn near impossible. There were so many times where I literally had to sit down on the floor because people wouldn't move uh, and let a disabled person sit in the disabled person sit seats. Um, so there was a lot of ableist and messed up things and discrimination that I went through at Texas State, but I didn't blow the whistle or cry hard enough about it because nothing was ever done. Um, but I guess I didn't realize at the time, I'm realizing now as I have this podcast and I'm speaking more on issues and, you know, even learning myself what it means to be disabled and the politically charged things that maybe have done to me that I didn't even know were being done, that I was being discriminated against and you know, that none of that, I shouldn't have went through anything that I went through because all that shit was illegal, discriminatory. I could have filed like a, like an ACA, um, or American uh, Disabilities Act claim on Texas State so quick because they had me messed up, y'all. But a lot of times I'm learning, especially with, um, master's degrees and the higher up you go in education, people might be hesitant to reveal their disability because in schools, once you once you tell a person that you're disabled, sometimes that's all they see. They focus on your disability and they don't see uh, the qualities that you bring to the table as a student. And nobody wants to be just labeled as like the autistic student or the student that the disabled student, the student that has cerebral palsy. Um, because it's either one or the other. They're like so amazed at you that you're able to get your stuff done because they had it in their heads that you wouldn't be able to, you know, finish these tasks or they're going to hold, they're going to be a little harder on you and expect you to work harder because they have that mindset of nothing in this life is handed to you and you still have to work a little harder. But in academic disabled spaces, it's like you're always trying to make a, like, remind people that disabled perspectives exist, disabled clients exist. Um, I'm in the social services field or trying to become a part of the social services field and uh, work in mental health in some capacity. And I'm always, when I was in my master's program, I was always trying to, you know, make apparent to my classmates, make apparent to my um, professors even that, yes, this is true, this may be true, but did you consider what if you have a disabled client? What if, you know, their needs aren't met in this way or what, you know, I, I even had a classmate one time that had a presentation and she said that oftentimes disabled people's lives are sad and full of pity. And I had to check her really quickly and I had to let her know that just because I'm disabled doesn't mean that my life is instantly hard and like, you know, like 
just I just want to end it all the time because I'm disabled and there's nothing worth like my life isn't worth living. My life is abundant. My life is fruitful. My life is beautiful and amazing and I'm grateful for it every day. Um, even if I am depressed, even if I have anxiety, I'm grateful for this life and the body that I'm in and the disability that I have. Uh, so when people try to um, you know, throw at me like, oh, it must be so hard having a disability. You're not supposed to have that mindset in academia because you're putting me in a box. You're saying that I can only achieve these things because you think I can. Um, and it's kind of dangerous when you're in the social services field, like you're dealing with children, you're dealing with people with disabilities, people that may not have their rights, you know, conservatorship wise. And you are thinking from a completely ableist perspective, thinking that their life must be so difficult or they are not self-sufficient or what do they have to live for? Or like thinking that disabled children shouldn't have a say in their care or where their life goes. Um, you're having ableists, people that have never had contact, had to have empathy towards, had to have interactions with disabled people, make policies for where the disabled people are going to end up, um, how their disability is going to be handled in academic settings, what accommodations are going to be made. Um, so if you're physical, if you're physically disabled and you have trouble getting around and transportation is your issue, don't expect the world to accommodate you, even though, uh, especially in American society, transportation is a big thing. If you don't have transportation, means for transportation, I don't, how are you supposed to make it in this capitalist society where you go to work? Um, I must remind you all that until COVID-19 and until able-bodied individuals needed to work from home, disabled people didn't have the option to work from home. And now that all these accommodations are slowly fading and everyone's trying to get back to the office, disabled people are definitely going to have to continue to fight to work from home because now that we see it's a viable option and, and could have been this whole entire time and it's financially cheaper for the company, uh, why wouldn't you accommodate virtual learning but or virtual working, but you only do it because your able-bodied coworkers needed it, not your disabled coworkers that have been screaming, begging, begging, and pleading for these kind of accommodations so they can live a normal life. You're gatekeeping. You're gatekeeping in the in the working world because you're telling me that all of a sudden after 2019, all of the things that disabled people have been denied in the workforce have all of a sudden become accessible to the general public. Um, and a lot of people say that, um, you know, the cost, what about the cost of accommodating? What about the cost? It's really not expensive to accommodate. Uh, you're just not putting in the time or effort to hear us or to see or to realize that even if you pay for these things in the short term, they're going to be worth the investment in the long term because you are including the disabled population. We still are disabled individuals. Again, there were so many times at Texas State, I was on the disabled ramps. They weren't made for disabled people. I don't know who designed those ramps, but the ramps were so out of the way, so far away from where you actually needed to go that I wouldn't take them half the time. But imagine if you had no choice and you were in a wheelchair, you were in for a hell of an arm workout that day because the ramps were so far away from where you actually needed to be. And that was the consistent problem with Texas State. Don't lean on the railing because it might move. Like all of the so-called disabled accommodations or handicapped 
placements in areas that claim they were handicapped or weren't handicapped. And I'm sure, you know, that is the reality for Texas State, but I'm sure that's the reality for everywhere in the world because you have you have non-disabled people making accessible, quote-unquote, accessible spaces when they don't even know what it's like to be disabled. They don't know the accommodations that are that are need to be met. They're just assuming, I'm putting this curb here and I'm painting it blue so it's handicap accessible, when that's not actually the reality. Um, 33% of, ex- of accessible accommodations were of zero cost, zero cost to companies, according according to uh churchy churchy 2015 sorry that was my um my resource but according to this uh study 33 percent of accommodations for um businesses had zero cost to the company so you can accommodate us it's fully possible whether it's in the school system whether it's in the workforce you can accommodate us you're just choosing not to even realize that the needs are being met and um, a lot of times this actually happens. This I was told this at Texas State that um, um, when when the disabled student population is smaller than the regular population, the purple the person in charge of disability services probably has multiple other jobs. Uh, their job probably isn't solely for disability services. They probably wear multiple hats and have different um, things on their shoulders, but also funding, funding. If you don't have funding for disabled students and to meet these accommodations, whatever they may be, um, how are you going to accommodate if you don't have the funding to do so? Um, Not saying that it's expensive because mind you, I just said that 33% of accommodations were at no cost to these companies, but you know, for schools and public spaces, they always want to throw the cost-effective argument in there. But my thing, my issue with this is when you have a student government, a student population that doesn't understand what it's like to be disabled, doesn't have a disabled friend, doesn't have a disabled person on the school committee board for te- for any school, it doesn't even have to be Texas State, for any school committee board, for any committee board ever. If you don't have a disabled perspective, but you're in charge of disabled funding and you're in charge of what happens with the disability office, but you don't even know what it's like to be disabled, you've never been in the disability office, you don't even have a disabled friend, why are you in charge of the funding? Why are you in charge of where the money goes that's gonna help these why are you in charge of the services that, that are going to be dealt out if you don't even know what the fuck they are? And that and that's just it. That's just the truth. If you don't know what accommodations need to be met, why are you in charge of making them? Why are you in charge of the funding? Why are you in charge of putting them in place? And a lot of time, the disability offices lack the resources in specializing in specific accommodations, so they just don't do it at all. So if you have a learning disability, um, it may be a little bit more easy to accommodate you. You know, you go to the the learning center, they block out two answers on your exam. You know, any academic help you need, it's given to you. But if you need more complex help, whether it be in need of resources, which if you need resources, especially in academia, it's definitely tied to your academic success. Because if you're a student and you have an internship coming, but you you don't have the resources to make it to your internship, that's part of your academic success. So if you have more complex resources that need to be met 
and you're disabled, you know, oftentimes you're just brushed over or glossed over because they don't know how to accommodate you. So they just don't do it or just assume that unless you ask for it, we're not going to give it to you. Um, and I and I had this happen to me in graduate school where somebody wore their accommodations like like a badge on their sleeve. They were like, oh, well, the professor has to accommodate me or I'm going to slap the ADA on them. That was just a stamp that they would always say, like, I have to be accommodation. Accommodate. You have to accommodate me. You have to accommodate me. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I mean, you should get your accommodations. But some people wear their accommodations on their sleeves while other people have to beg, plead, scratch and fight for them. And I'm one of those just because I'm not asking you for academic so-called help doesn't mean that I don't deserve um, accommodations. There are other facets of your life, especially in the world of academia and graduate school and funding and unpaid internships and, you know, all these things that they expect you to do, but they're not giving you the resources, especially as a disabled individual. How the hell are you supposed to succeed? Um, so I know the higher you get up in education, the harder it is. And the more you feel like you're scrounging for resources or when you're asking for them, you're complaining or crying. Um, I'm here to tell you that you're not complaining or crying. You need to speak up for these resources. If they don't have them in place, you need to fight for them. Write your state representative. Become that disabled voice at the school. If there's not one, become one. Uh, be that disabled person working in the disability office because it baffles me that not one disabled person is working in the disability office, but they have the audacity and the power and the funding to tell us where our accommodations are going to go, how far they're going to reach, and what you're going to pay for. But you don't even know what it's like to be disabled. That's a very big problem. It's a gatekeeping problem within academia. You rarely see student professors. If you do see professors, they're in higher up places that maybe have less interaction with the students. We need more disabled professors. We need more disabled educators at the elementary school level, at the middle school, high school, and academic level. We need more disabled people with PhDs. We just need more disabled perspective because I said in my last episode, um, it's tiring sometimes being the only disabled person in the room speaking, making your voice heard, making your perspectives heard, um, our plight with with SSI, with uh, government funding and how we're limited and how much we can spend and have and save and ableism in the job force and discrimination on, you know, job interviews and job uh, applications and you know, the preliminary screening already, you know, disqualifies you because of your disability. And they can't legally say that, but you know exactly that's why you didn't get called back. So there's so many gatekeeping um, instances that happen. And I probably will do another episode specifically on the workforce. Um, but gatekeeping is a really a really big problem in the disabled community, whether it's able-bodied people gatekeeping us saying that we don't look disabled or because we're disabled, we should live this certain kind of life or be helpless, be hopeless, or, you know, not have sex, not go on dates, not be in academic spaces, not have friends, not be social, want to go out to brunch because if we're disabled, how dare we? How dare we compete in the Olympics? You know, um, you're gatekeeping. If you have any of those ableist mindsets, you are gatekeeping, you're a gatekeeper, and I'm calling you out. But thank you guys for tuning in to 21st Century Cripple. I just wanted to um, 
this was a very important episode to me because I feel like it happens a lot. Um, if you're a gatekeeper, I hope that you're aware. I hope if you are in an academic space that you're being more inclusive to your students. If you're a hiring person, you know, in charge of hiring people, make sure you take that extra step to hire disabled workers. Make sure you take that extra step to hear what your disabled people have to say in the room. They probably have better ideas um, than you give them credit for. Um, we need more disabled perspectives in the corporate world, in the academic world, in the world of entertainment. You name it, we need it. So thank you guys for tuning in to 21st Century Cripple. This was the Don't Gatekeep Me episode. <laughs>